For our warm-up exercise this time, I want us to take a moment to describe our characters. I realized after the first few episodes that we hadn't really taken the time to do that, and I thought it would be helpful for us as well as for our audience to just get a picture of how you see your character looking. So why don't we start with Peter? What does Peter look like, Thane? Well, I guess Peter looks a bit like me. He's just about average height. Uh, what was it? Did I write a specific height? No, I did not. So I'm going to say about five, about five foot ten ish, okay. and he's um, like white, but a bit more tanned than okay. I am. All right, yeah, from his outdoor work. Yeah, and he's what kind of build? Uh, he's. Heavy, athletic, slender. I, I guess he's kind of slender, not really. You know, I mean, being a priest, he doesn't like work out annually. But with all your herb gathering and, and tramping around the countryside, you would yeah. have physical activity. I've got killer legs. <laughs> <laughs> Look out, calves. All right, and what kind of clothing does he wear? Um, imagine kind of like one of those... Um, like uh, medieval monk robes. Okay, so I have it. Yeah, just kind of very simple homespun brown cloth. Is bit it rough? Is it a bad habit? Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got these brilliant green eyes and uh, crew cut brown hair. Okay, all right. So good. How about Womberbash? So Womberbash has brown eyes and uh, brown hair. It's quite long and 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 curly and and like wavy and scraggly, sort of like a rat's nest, basically. Um, he's got olive skin. Um, he's probably around five eleven. Um, he's not really lean. He's not he's not fat either or overweight. He's just got some. He's got a little bit of heft to him, some girth. Um, he's definitely got a beard that's all rough. Um, He's, uh, his beard sort of tends to go up his cheeks, too, so he's kind of like a hairy guy. Uh, he's got long hair on his back and stuff and his, his arms. Um, he basically has, like, um, animal skins, a couple layers of animal skin, um, more, more like a sort of like an animal skin tunic first layer. Uh, second layer is sort of like a, like a vest animal skin, and then there's like this sort of like a mantle, like a rougher um, mantle with a little bit more of a fur, less leathery, but a little bit more furry looking mantle. Um, and he's got basically some leather boots or leather, leather wrapped around his feet with a, with a cord, a leather cord. Okay. Um, like he, a sinew cord. Almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, um, he smells very interestingly, um, <laughs> not really BO type of smell, but it's more, it's definitely a musk, definitely <laughs> a earthen mossy, sometimes mildewy musk with a slight hint of sweat. Uh, but that's just simply because he's an outdoor person and he lives outdoors. And even as we've you know seen in other, in some of the episodes there, I, I have like an earthen based at the at the base of a tree type of, of hut. So, um, yeah, he's very organic. OK, down to earth. Yeah. And uh, I just would also like to add um, those animal skins are not animals that he actually hunted himself, but more of came along uh, dead already. And okay. so as he ate the meat, he took the skins and made his clothing. OK, not that he's against hunting. It's just sure. that's his nature. Yeah. And um, did so he made his own 
garments out of these. Is he skilled as a leather a tanner, that kind of thing, or did is it still patchy and kind of raw? It's, it's definitely patchy and raw. Um, he doesn't really care about aesthetics, and so as long as it covers up the bits that need to be covered up, uh, because he has no other loincloth or underwear of any, he's basically free underneath the tunic, and so he's uh, just as long as it covers up the bits, he's he's good. Okay, all right. <laughs> nice. Right. We'll take a moment here, and Tira. Okay, so I, I'm pretty heavily influenced by the picture of... Was it the barbarian picture or the dwarf yeah, picture? Barbarian. It was a barbarian picture. Okay. When, when Rhett and I were making my character initially, way back in the day, um, I just saw the picture. It was this red haired, and she was a dwarf, wasn't she? Yep. So it's like. Presumably. It was, yeah, the picture in the. Is it the player's handbook? handbook? It's just a red haired little dwarf barbarian and i thought well that's about it <laughs> that looks like her i do imagine her to have red hair i do imagine that she has kind of icy blue eyes uh that just seems to make sense to me with her being underground a whole lot and her dark vision you just kind of imagine these you know nearly colorless eyes but there's kind of a icy blueness to them um uh, but the main feature of note, I guess, in my appearance would be uh, some scarring or well, I guess it's not scars quite yet, but um, from when the delve collapsed and I kind of prop myself in the gap to to uh, allow people to escape. I imagine that, you know, that would have been a pretty rough ordeal and yeah. I would have some scabbing, scabbing, which will eventually turn into some shiny pink scars on my forearms and maybe on my face. Yeah, and something bit. else that we noticed as we were going over your character before starting today is that she doesn't wear armor. She is right. completely clothing mm -hmm. uh, and that's it. And, but because of your barbarian skill of what was it again? I don't know which one. I have leather working tools. I also have. No. I've got light armor and medium armor. What are you talking about? Oh, unarmored defense. Okay. Yeah, as a barbarian, you have unarmored defense, and so that allows you to add your constitution modifier plus your dexterity modifier plus 10. So without any armor, already you have a 16 armor class, <laughs> which is amazing. And as long as you continue to not wear armor, that's what it'll be. It'll be your dex okay. bonus, your strength bonus, and your 10. So that's excellent. Most characters that don't wear armor start out with an armor class of 10, and that's it. Uh, with, plus whatever dexterity bonus they have. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you have a low dexterity, you're just 10, and that's not very good. All right, so in a nutshell, those are the physical descriptions of our characters. Uh, one question I did have for you, Tira. Does anything special happen when you shift to your dark vision? Is oh. there anything noticeable about your eyes? Uh, I would imagine the pupils get pretty big, and uh, so they are nearly black at that point. Do you want to say that maybe there's that that cat-like effect where there's that Where you get that color shift yeah, to the... the chatoyance the, is what well, it's I called. didn't know the fancy name for it, but yes, I'll have some chatoyance. <laughs> what, is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, Okay. All right, so yeah, you have that... I guess as you are observing her, you'll see that in the dark, her eyes flash with that greenish mm -hmm. color whenever... They hit the light. Yeah. Just yeah. Okay. Follow a band of intrepid friends as they seek to understand the world changing around them and as they work together to face a growing evil. Enter a world of adventure and mystery in Bardalon.
welcome back to another episode of Stack of Dice. This is Rhett, the Dungeon Master, and with me is... Meredith as Tira Ironstag. Michael as Womberbash Benson Mom. Thane as Peter Greyhawk. Last time, our friends followed the words of the Great Stag by climbing into the mountains surrounding Griphook Forest. After a rigorous ascent, they emerged at last in a pleasant dale that marked the beginning of a series of challenges. In this remote mountain place, they faced three puzzles, demonstrating their resolve, their compassion, and their wit. At the conclusion of the final puzzle, the party was lifted straight up through the mountain in a marvelous elevator of some sort and emerged on top of the tallest of the three sisters, the mountains that overlook the valley in which Arden lies. There, atop a stone pillar, they found what appeared to be an ancient scroll. Not a squirrel. As they unrolled it, they saw it was a curious map, merely an empty outline of a continent except for four clearly marked stars and a series of 18 glyphs across the top. The three were huddled around the map when they suddenly heard a familiar voice speak. You have done it. It's the voice of the great stag. As you turn, you see that he's looking at you with gentle eyes. Behind him is Jarrett, who is no longer bound. Instead, he stands at the edge of the flat space on the peak, scanning intently to the south in the direction of Griphook Forest. The stag continues. Well, let me ask you first. Is there anything you want to say or do? <gasps> I think it might be a bit of a start. I, Jarrett! I say... <gasps> Good job, Peter. <laughs> cool. <laughs> the stag continues. By showing your willingness to continue, even when things seem impossible or don't make sense, you have proven your resolve. In selecting the statue figure who showed compassion, you have shown your understanding of it. By following clues and choosing wisely to deactivate the wards on the statue, you have demonstrated your wit. These are all things you will need to succeed in the work that lies ahead. What does lie ahead? When we met in the glade, I mentioned a growing evil. There is much I do not yet understand, but it continues to grow, and my dreams of late have been troubled. I fear that if we do not act quickly, it will grow beyond our power to resist. As such, there is some preliminary knowledge you must gain first. You will first go to Flynnmore, to the north of Arden. You will find the beginnings of several threads there, each of which is important in what is to come. Find the library in that city, and from there seek the jewels of Edelen. Know that time is of the essence. Much depends on your speed. The fate of the world hangs in the balance. At this point, you hear a muffled cry. You see that Jarrett has suddenly grown agitated. His face has grown hard as he gestures in the direction of Griphook Forest to the south. Womberbash, an icy feeling grips your stomach. What's going on? What is it, Jarrett? Jarrett. Jarrett, 
turns, he spins, and you can just see agitation written completely over his face. And he gestures quickly and um, sharply down at the forest below. He said, they're coming. I can see it. Come over here. And he beckons to you. Who's coming? I go over there. As you look down, you can see in the central part of the forest spread out below you, uh, you see little curls of smoke rising up through the trees. And he said, those are campfires. Before I left the bandit holds in the east, there was rumor that the chief was going to move into Griphook and reestablish it as a base so they can try to take Arden. The town has been a thorn in the bandit side far too long, and their leader, a strong one named Demeth, has tired of it. Uh, you can see the campfire smoke coming from below. And that makes sense. If I've calculated correctly, it's the time they've set to attack, I fear. And if Arden is unprepared, there could be real trouble. I need to get back down there now and tell them what's going on, and it would help me a great deal if you would come with me to verify my story. I'll go with you. Well, wait, Peter. Uh, Chiswick sent Jarrett himself. I'm sure, Jarrett, you're not going to need our help to verify your story. I understand that there's there's danger below, but we've been given uh, an important mission, and the stag says that time is is important here as well. We We need to get going to Flenmore. I'm sure you can handle the situation with the bandits. I'm sure I can too, but it's not just about telling them. We, we need to prepare the defenses, and from what I've seen, you handle those bandits with ease down there in the forest. We could really use your help. My home is down there. As you're staring out over the forest, Wamberbash in particular, I can see you standing with one foot up on a rock as you're looking down. All of a sudden, you see a flare of light closer to the edge of the forest. And you can see almost like the, the trees are being underlit, like something is going on. And that icy feeling you felt earlier grows in you. Hey, I feel something weird in my stomach. You and see, this, this isn't a hunger. This is different. I, I don't know. I'm kind of worried. I, I think we should go with I think we should go with this guy. As you speak up, Wamberbash, the stag suddenly looms behind you. You can feel his presence without turning around, and you hear the voice again. I have told you you have a great destiny. You must fulfill that. Well, what about all those people down there? People are going to die if we don't do anything. We can't just go off to Flenmore and leave all these people defenseless. We're not just going off to Flenmore. There's, uh, there's much at stake in both places. It's not like we're going off to Flenmore just to go on vacation while our, while this is going on in the forest. I mean, both are important. I think we need to think about this a little bit more carefully. But if we can if we can save at least one village, then we know that we're up to this kind of world saving task that we've been just shoved in shoved into. Now, if we, if we just go tramping off trying to save the world before we even really know what we're doing, the challenge is that we were just set or what helped prove that we were that we were prepared for this task Jarrett really how how imminent is the threat down there Jarrett looks very concerned and he's almost wringing his hands in front of him once they make their move it's going to be an avalanche and we won't it'll be no time at all before they roll right into Arden 
I saw I saw some soldiers while they're in the city. That's where you guys took me, right? The city, yeah, yeah. Isn't there like like people there to help and defend? Actually, most of our militia is on its way to Flenmore with our last shipment of ore from the Delve. So, they so are there Arden, isn't very much Arden defense def- there. Arden is defenseless. You feel a chill in the air behind you. Again, that voice from the stag, deep and deliberate, says, Time is growing short. You must make a decision now. Help this worthless village. <laughs> Tira backs up. <laughs> or fulfill the destiny that lies before you. Well, hold on. Arden isn't worthless, and... My whole clan is down there. Since our delve collapsed, the, the dwarves have moved closer to Arden and and we're exposed. We're, we're not nearly as well protected as we used to be. Uh, are you sure we don't have time to go down and help just shore up their defenses before the bandits hit and then we can go? When the fate of the world hangs in the balance, you must make hard decisions. This is what every hero must struggle with. We wouldn't be much of a hero if we let our friends and neighbors defend defend themselves with with nothing, uh, with no resources. I am done wasting my breath. You will give me your decision now. I'm staying. I'm I'm going with Jared. I um bow, like and low low to the ground, and and I sort of look a little up to the stag, and I say, with all due respect, I I, I have to I have to I have to defend my home. I, I have to help the people in that town. I've got to go back to my father. I think we, I think we need to go back. You've all turned to speak to the stag, I'm presuming. Yes. Yeah. As you do this, you can feel that almost crackling energy in the air of just that tension that hit, that hovers there so heavily. And his eyes almost seem to blaze with fire. And if you were physically inclined to do so, you would almost be all leaning back on your heels away <laughs> from, because you can feel an almost tangible force emanating from him. Oh, boy. And this builds for what seems like an eternity. Oh, dear. <laughs> and then he just explodes. <laughs> Disapproval rolls off the stag, and the air is tense. But after a few agonizing seconds of this scrutiny, he tilts his head back and his mood immediately lightens. You have done well. This was the final test. To know you have been chosen for a higher purpose and yet desire to help those who cannot help themselves is humility. He lowers his head and his voice quavers. I once had a brother who was resolute. He could show compassion, and he had brains. He was strong, and he was brave. But his failing was in his heart. He allowed pride to take him, and he fell. A single tear rolls down the downturned muzzle. There's a moment of silence. But the massive antlers swing back up and the voice sounds strong again. You have proven your worth. I have one last thing to give you before you go. The stag kneels 
touching his nose to the ground. He breathes softly, and a sweet aroma fills the air. When he arises, there are two colorless stones glittering on the ground. They gleam in the sunlight, their crystalline sheen a stark contrast to the dull gray of the mountain's rock. Both are about the size of your thumb. One is slender, roughly cylindrical, but with faceted sides. It has been worn smooth in a couple places, as though someone held it repeatedly for a long time. The other is a little flatter and shaped more like a teardrop. So what do you all do? I go and pick up the faceted one. As you touch it, I want you to imagine what it's like when you go outside on a regular day around here. Uh, at first, you might hear cars driving by, like we just heard a moment ago, <laughs> or the sound of a door closing, or even the wind in the trees, something obvious like that. But if someone suddenly says, listen to those birds, your focus changes. Holding this stone has attuned your senses like that. It's like you're hearing a new kind of music. At first, you don't really notice anything, but when the realization comes flooding in, you're hearing a music unlike anything you've ever heard before. There's an innate musicality to the shift of the pebbles under your feet, to the way the breeze plays around the rocky outcroppings, even to the sunlight falling on your face. In short, you become aware of the music that suffuses the world. Do, do you guys hear that? Hear no, what? Hear what? I hear music and everything. This is, this is weird. I need to sit down. So I sit down. As you sit, the realization within you of all this strangeness uh, wells up within you, and it seems like a wall just begins to crumble and fall away inside of you. The stag speaks to you, Peter. The one you have chosen is called Reiskostoch, the Stone of Riza. It belonged to a great warrior and an even greater friend. He named it for his wife, whom he saw once more after we met. You are free to give it a new name if you so choose. No, no, this is... It's a, it's a great name. Wamberbash, Tira? Um, I, I suppose I step forward and pick up the teardrop-shaped one. Tira, as you reach forward and you pick up the teardrop-shaped one... Oh, bef I'm sorry. Let's back up. Peter, when you touched your stone, a color began to spread from the, from the very center of it. And I want you to pick what that color is. The same color of my eyes. Kind of a lime green color. So that, like that brilliant green that you were mentioning? Yes. All right, so as you pick up the stone, it's almost like a, a pinpoint of green and light right in the middle of the stone. And then you see it start to spread along the length and then just grow and... Before you know it, the entire stone is filled with that color. I sit and stare at it in wonder. It gleams brightly in the light. All right, Tira, so you have reached down and you pick up your stone? Yes. When your fingers touch the stone, you hear the faintest whisper of a tune running through your mind. It's a suggestion of something familiar, almost like a lullaby your mother might have sung to you in your mm -hmm. infancy. It tugs at you, but the tune is faint and distant. 
Your stone is called Elenasar, the star stone. It belonged to a great lady, a huntress of the elves. She gave it a name in her own tongue, signifying from whence it came. Her people have gone now, it seems, or are in hiding. I have seen none of her kind for many long centuries. You, too, are free to give it a new name, if you so choose. I don't know what I would call this. I, Peter, I hear that song. And that's it. All right, so you pick up your stone, mm -hmm. Tira, and Peter, you have a stone, and Wamberbash, what, what are you doing? I'm just looking at my spoon, and it reminds me that I'm starting to get hungry. <laughs> He's always hungry. <laughs> like that's the most primal of his impulses, I think. Is there anything, would at any point we suddenly kind of snap out of it, though, because we remember, wait, wait, we've got to get, we got we've got to get back. Yeah. What, what, uh, what, what is the fastest way to get down from here? Do we have to go back the way we came? I don't know. That would take a long time. The stag steps over to the edge of this flat part of the peak, and he looks down, almost pointing his head in a certain direction, and as you step over to see what he's looking at, you can see that there's a stone stair carved into the side of the mountain. And as you step around in front of the stag, you see a flight of stairs heading down, but they're carved in such a way that they are only visible from this certain perspective. If you're standing anywhere else up here, you have no idea that the stairs are there. Huh. And indeed, in all your time in the delve, in all your time wandering the hills and mountains around Arden looking for your... Um, herbs. Herbs, herbs, Peter. Um, you have never come across any stairs like these. So somehow they are just perfectly constructed so that they're only visible if you know exactly where to look. And you can see a flight of stairs snaking its way down the mountain. And it looks like it's going to be a much more direct route than any other route you could take to get here. So to where exactly does this take us? Directly to that city, that little town? Or it just goes down to the base of the mountain. It goes down to the base of the mountain, but it should, judging from where you're looking, it looks like it's going to actually deposit you right fairly close in between Arden and the first home, Thandul. So you should end up right in the middle of those two places. Okay. Oh. And Jarrett also looks astounded. He's yeah. never been up here, never seen this before, and he has been all around this place as a militiaman first and now as uh, a bandit undercover spy yeah uh he's this is new to him also where did this come from i don't know but we I should think go it's best not to ask now yeah, let's go move. hey would i do that uh <laughs> what was it stone the, cutting the stone cutting or, or was it the history thing stone cutting yeah which allows you to do a history check with if yeah, you want to if I you want to do, do yeah i'm gonna do that all right so tira is going to or meredith is going to roll a stone cutting check to see if she can figure out where the steps came from. All right. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> that was a These four. are stairs. Stairs! <laughs> she rolled a, a nine total. Yeah. <laughs> well, they look, again, just like the tower, just like the bridge. Everything here has been perfectly crafted, and this is no exception. The stairs are just as much uh, well-crafted as everything else that you've seen. That bridge, which is so cool. Um, well, 
I, I think we shouldn't waste any more time, guys. We need to we need to get down there. Let's go. I'm hungry. Let's, let's go. As you begin stepping down the stairs, uh, you see the stag silhouetted against the sky above you. Well, maybe I stop and turn turn back. Where will you go now? I will see you again. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and with that, he turns and with one swift motion, he disappears from your view. Wait! Your voice is caught in the wind and drifts away. Aww. Come on, where right. to go? So you are welcome to continue down the stairs. It's a really easy descent, considering the amount of climbing you went through. And even that path was well constructed to get you up to the challenges. Yeah, that was hours. It was several hours to climb, but... In an hour's worth of time, somehow this path has just completely eased any problems you might have in getting down, and you are able to get down to the base of the mountain, and you empty out onto a field, like I said earlier, that is equidistant between the human settlement and the dwarven first home. All right, I need to I need to go back to the first home and warn my father and try and get him to rally um, some help. Yeah, Tira, you go on, um, you know, go, go as fast as you can with those short legs of yours. And Wombabash, mm-hmm. um, Jared, and I will go up to Chiswick and let him know, and we'll see if we can rally the people. And we'll try to get some food. You do that. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start with Tira. Okay. You head toward the first home, and it's about a quarter mile from here. So getting out to the main road that runs alongside the first home uh, and then as you approach that hill where your first home is, uh, you make your way up the circular path to get to the gate. And already you can hear voices up on the walls surrounding the bowl of the hill calling down inside. There she is. Uh, fetch him quick. And you can hear uh, the guards calling for your father. And you make your way up the path oh. and right through the oaken gates and you stand inside the courtyard of the first home just in time to see your father stumping out and he looks mad. In fact, as he approaches, you can hear him already grumbling. I was staying home all night gone for who knows how long. Just, and he comes right up to you and you can see his face is red. His, even the tips of his ears are red. And that's never a good sign. That never is. Never good. Um... Father, I know that you're angry with me, and I know that you've been worried, but I have You're important... right, I am. <sighs> I'm sorry. Where have you been? I, I don't have time to go into all that now, but I've seen and done many things in the short time that I've been gone, and right now I have important news for you. Bandits from the forest are about to march on Arden, and, and the... the militia is gone delivering our ore. We need to rally the dwarves and, and help. Marching on Arden? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. We need... They have no defenses. We need to help them. They're humans, Tira. Nothing more. They are more. They helped our clan when our delve collapsed and we lost our home and so many people... They are more than just humans. We owe it to them to protect them. We can't turn our backs now. Why don't you roll me a persuasion check? (laughs) 
Natural 20. Yeah. <laughs> all right, your words sink right through all his crusty exterior. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. <laughs> no, no, this is quite literal. No, literally, literally crusty exterior. <laughs> <laughs> and something about the way you hold your head, and you can see a tear form on, on the corner of his eye as he remembers the horror of that night when the delve collapsed. And almost impulsively, he lunges into you and just wraps you up in the biggest bear hug a father could possibly give. <sighs> and, you know, you're, I would say you're a little bit taller than him. And so you can just see the gray of his hair beneath your, your head and just feel him burrowed right up against you. And then he holds you at arm's length after a moment. You're right, of course. We do need to help them. They helped us. It's only right. And with that, with no other words, he, he wipe, it's, it's like he moves his arm surreptitiously yeah. enough to, to wipe that tear away, and then he points with that same hand, everyone to the council chamber now. And you can see guards scurrying down from the walls. You can see uh, people emerge from the various towers around the first home. And, and then within minutes, there's this throng of dwarves heading into that council chamber. And you can already hear your father inside banging, uh, banging a, a mug on the table to get their attention. And so I guess, unless you want to go in there, you're welcome to stay outside, but um, what are you going to do? I, I, mean, I guess I call after him, you know, you, you get everybody together. I will go down to the village and let them know that we're on our way or that you're on your way. He doesn't say anything and he doesn't even really, because it's so noisy in there, right. he doesn't really catch what you said, but I think he understands the gist of it. Yeah, a salute. So he raises sort, yeah. his mug mm -hmm. in the air. Arr. And just goes on back to trying to shout over the din. Okay. All right, so you're free to. All right, so then I, I turn towards the village and, you know, I, maybe just do a quick check and make sure that mm -hmm. I have everything, uh, you know, axe at my side and backpack strapped on tightly. Look, maybe just cast one last admiring and uh, somewhat sentimental, I suppose, glance at my dad, my father. Glad that he is, has something to do now and seeing him back in his old form and everything. And, and it's good to see the dwarves rallying and how, how readily they fall in uh, when he calls and then I take off. Yeah, it, it is comforting to you to see your father when he takes command. And, you know, it's been a hard time since the Delves collapse. There's been a lot of questioning. He feels personally responsible for the collapse of the Delve. He is the chief of the clan. And so... He's responsible for a lot of things right now, but your words just cut right through all that little Miss Natural 20. <laughs> and uh, so now you're heading on out? I am heading down towards Arden to let them know that the dwarves are on their way. Moving at a brisk pace, I'm going to say it's going to take you mm, about eight minutes okay. to get there. All right. In the meantime, Wamberbash and Peter, you are heading back toward Arden. And as you approach, you can see that it looks like a normal day in the village. So what are you talking about? What, you, what is your plan? Um, I say we just go straight up to Chiswick and tell him what's, what's, you know, all the news. Let's go. We're going to go by that place, right, where you took me the first time? Where's uh, there any, like, mushroom yeah. stuff there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grab a quick casserole. All right, so your first right. stop is the Chapel of the Healing Hand? Or the, the uh, Matilda's... Are you looking for food or for medicine? Food. Okay. I, I'm just going to pick up some food on the way. Gotcha. So. Okay. 
Here, actually, so you go, you go off and get the food. We'll be waiting for you up at Where do I go? Where do I go? He's new to this town. It's I say, first take a left, then a right, then you go forward, then you double back, and you go around the circle twice clockwise. You take a right, and it's on your left. Uh, Just take this back street. It's over there. Okay. <laughs> okay. So with that confusing direction, Wamber Bass, you are free to go find your food at the Great Stand. Right, and I kind of like, I'm kind of hunched over and kind of like trying to use my my, mm. my nose and like kind of like just grunting around trying to just try to figure out where this place is, if I can smell a difference in the air to, to find out where this place is. All right, let's do, uh, hmm. do an investigation check if okay. you would. So what are those dice called? Are they the dwarven dice? No, they're the dragon, dragonborn yeah, dice. So the problem with these dice is they're so scrolly, it's hard to read the yeah, numbers. Yeah, this one on. is a six plus... Investigation should be down with intelligence. Uh, it's a ten. Ten, okay. It's ten total. Yeah. Uh, you do smell the faint odor of food in the air, and that's enough to roughly direct okay. you in the right way. You're not sure what directions Peter gave you, but... The way you're taking is a much more direct route. I zoned out after you said take the first left. Okay. I kind of like just <laughs> you like took the first left yeah, and now no, you're no, on no. <laughs> All right. So after a couple minutes of nosing around, you do find the door of the Great Stag Inn. And are you, you are able to read, right? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So you can make out Great and Stag. Yes. And so you know this is the place. All right. You step inside and what would you like to do? Hey, uh, Peter said I could get food here. The barkeep is wiping down the bar, and he looks up when you come in, and you can see him wrinkle his nose for a second in the close confines of the bar room. <laughs> uh, Peter? Yeah, he says, uh, Peter Greyboy, I think, <laughs> something like that. He said that uh, I could get food here, like mushrooms and stuff. Oh, uh, hold on. And he whistles back to the kitchen. Matilda, I got someone for you. And after a moment, this large woman comes out. Hey, lady. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, I wonder if, like, uh, Peter said I could get some mushrooms here. Mushrooms? Like in a castle? Peter Greyhawk. <laughs> uh, yes, 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 Greyhawk, Greyhawk, that's him. Um, let me see what I can find. And so she steps back into the kitchen. You hear clanking of pots and whatnot. And I'm just going to sit down at like one of the tables there and right. just wait. After a moment, she comes out and there is a steaming plate of mushrooms. She hasn't really done anything to it, but it's ready and it smells delicious. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm just going to start eating. <laughs> the barkeep watches. He's been watching this from a distance and he says, uh, you do have money, right? Uh, money? <gasps> money? We're going to cut back. To Peter. <laughs> so I, uh, Jared and I head up towards Chiswick's house. I guess I, I assume we get up to his front door without too many difficulties. Okay, let me describe this again. Uh, so Arden, looking at it from above, looks like a big piece of pizza with the tip pointing towards the south and the crust end pointing toward the north. So it extends from that tip up to the north and it widens as it goes. And the reason for that tip is because there's that section called the rock which is the most defensible part of the town. So imagine this cliff that rises up above the river, the Arden River and the Rhyme Rill, where they connect at the point of the rock. And so Chiswick's house is located on that tip of the rock, 
but just before it, there's an open space, a small open space, and then there's a palisade wall. So you have to pass through the rough wooden gate to get into Chiswick's house area. And once you're in there, you walk up to his door. You notice that there's a banner that it's, it's a rich blue color. And on the banner is the stag's head. And if you look at our wiki, you'll see that the Arden entry actually has my crude Photoshop representation <laughs> of, the, of the sign of Arden, of the shield of Arden. So that's what's on the flag. And as you walk up, uh, the door is actually open to the house. All right. So I just walk right in and I call for Chiswick. Chiswick! You hear Mr. So Mr. Garderock. Mr. Garderock. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So from the back room, you can hear voices talking. And then after a moment, Chiswick steps out. Uh, Peter, how are you? Um, not as good as you, I think, but uh, I have a guest for you. Chizik looks over <laughs> to your side and he sees the figure there. And at first he, there's this blank look on his face. Uh, and then he leans in closer and he realizes, Jarrett? Jarrett! And he steps forward and he embraces the man. And Jarrett, um, after a brief bro hug, <laughs> they step apart and suddenly it's just a babble of voices. Chizik is asking, oh, how have you been? Where, how were things, you know, what, what's the report you have? And Jarrett at the same time is already launching into his full report of the bandit activity. And after a moment, they, they pause as they realize what's going on and then they both just start laughing. But very quickly, Jarrett's face grows serious. And he says... Mayor, we've got a problem. And we have a lot of work to do. Chizik looks grave and sits down on one of the chairs in the front room and invites you, Peter, to sit down also. Uh, yeah, I sit down. Okay. So the three of you are sitting in the room, and uh, Jarrett says, you see, they're, they're on the move. The bandits are coming. And they're in the forest already, and it will be just a matter of days, hours, who knows, before they strike, we have a lot of repairing to do. Uh, Chizik looks over to you, Peter, and he looks at you with inquisitive eyes. I nod. I see. Well, we uh, so so that that uh, Wamberpesh guy, the injured yes man that we recovered, we we sent him back to his home to find a spoon, which he kept on wanting to find we uh tira and i went with him and once we got to the woods we couldn't find the spoon so we went deeper into the woods looking for it and came across one such camp of bandits we managed to take care of them um pretty easily but there were only three of them one of them uh and one of them turned out to be Jared. and then a lot of stuff happened but that's that's too long to get into now but important thing is we don't have much time. They're, they may be, they may be marching towards us right now. And Jarrett, Jarrett nods vigorously, and he says, "I saw the smoke of several fires, and the way these bandits work, several fires with five to ten at each fire, they're coming." And uh, another important thing you should know, Mister Gardrock, Tira's gone off to the to the first home to uh, rally the dwarves to help us. I see. I wonder. Well, 
past experience tells me that we can't rely on the dwarves, so we need to prepare to fight alone. Jarrett, can I rely on you? And he turns to look directly at Jarrett. I need you to go start gathering people. Peter, can I ask you to go back to the chapel, get the physic and any medical supplies you can? I have a feeling we're going to need those quickly. And if you can bring them back here and just start forming uh, a stockpile, any weapons you can find as you're out and about, we, and we need to start gathering people and getting them in, any valuables they have, anything they don't want destroyed, we need to get them behind this palisade now. And food as well, in case we have to wait for a while. I'll go take care of that. Okay. On a mayor. And with that, I stand up and uh, stride out of the gates towards the chapel, all the while thinking to myself, we're not, uh, what on earth is taking Womber Bash so long? Okay. Back to the inn. Womber Bash, you're at your table. You have mushroom juice running down your chin <laughs> and a dazed look on your face as you're trying to figure out what this money thing is. <laughs> I, I, you, were, you left your home when you were 12, correct? All right, so you, I'm sure you saw it, but it's been so long since you've seen it that I guess it doesn't mean a whole lot to you. Um, you were st- sitting there with your mouth just hanging open when you hear footsteps coming behind you and a hearty voice say, ah, yes, the, the great stag. Uh, how is everyone today? And as you turn around, you see it's the mayor. Hey, uh, hey, uh, you, you remember me, right? Uh, Wibblebum? Yes, uh, Wumberbash. <laughs> so this, uh, this man is asking me for money for this uh, mushrooms, but like I got mushrooms before and I didn't have to pay for them. Ah, uh, I see. Um, he goes over and talks quietly with the bartender who has stepped around the bar because <laughs> he was coming to start Oof. being serious with you. <laughs> uh, and after a quick conversation, you see a flash of metal change from hand to hand, and he looks like he's fine now. So you have been paid for. <laughs> and then uh, there's an intense conversation between the mayor and the man. And eventually Matilda does come out and she listens and you can see her face go grave as she's listening. Uh, and after a moment, she goes back to the kitchen and you can hear her starting to rummage through her pantries and so forth, gathering things. Uh, but you don't know what exactly is going on. So um, what's going on? You know uh, what's going on, don't you? No, but the... He doesn't know the details. Yeah, I don't know what they're oh. talking about. The mayor comes over and he sits down at your table with you. And he says, um, I'm assuming you were with Peter. Yeah, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know that much. Um, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, this village is in danger. And we need to gather as much supplies as we can. Um so if you don't mind helping me, I could I could certainly use the help. Sure, sure, yeah, I'll but uh, don't worry, my friend Tira, she'll be here. After, I'd say, a couple more minutes, Matilda comes out and she's already got baskets and, and parcels and things, and she's putting it out on the bar. And so she uh, goes back to the kitchen to do more, but that's plenty for you two to carry back and start your little stockpile. The mayor stands up, goes over to the counter, and picks up as much as he can, and he invites you to do the same. And you head on back to the Palisade. Peter, in the meantime, you go back to the Chapel of the Healing Hand, which is really just just over a stone's throw away from the Palisade. And you step inside the familiar stone corridors of the chapel. I take a breath. 
the sense of the herbs and that feeling of home washes over you. And you can hear the physic humming to himself as he's sitting in his study. I guess I'll walk over to the study. His back is to you. He's hunched over his desk writing something, probably transcribing something or working on a new recipe. I'm back. Ah. <laughs> ah. Very good. It's so good to see you, Peter. Where have you been? I've, I've, it's it's Julian to explain what I, what I do need to tell you is Arden is in danger. There are bandits in the forest, and there's no telling when they're coming to get us, but it's going to be soon, and we need to... Bandits. Um, the, the mayor just sent me. We need to gather up supplies, and we need to get up to his house as fast as possible. I see. And supplies... Like mm. medicine... Yes, indeed. Things. <laughs> okay. Then you know what to do. We've practiced this many times. Mm-hmm. Trouble is coming, I, I can tell, from the seriousness in your face. If the trouble is going to be of the sort that I think it is, I want you to have something. He, stand, he stands up, and he walks out of the room and down a hall, and as he goes, you begin to have the suspicion of what's coming. You know what this is. Going back to your childhood, there's a room in the chapel that you used to pass by. And the, the door was always open. There's really no doors in this building. It's more, except for the curtains that cover the individual ward rooms in the treatment area of the chapel. Um, you, you remember passing by this room and you never went in. And there, it's not like there was a restriction on the room, but you always just never felt like you could step into the room. But you remember that there's a room that has a gleaming coat of, of scale mail. Yes. And there's a window that the light just shines through at the right time of day and it illuminates that suit of armor. And next to it on a stand is a hand crossbow. Not a hand Mm. crossbow, a light crossbow. Yes. Hand crossbows are cooler though, but I'll take a light one. In this case, it's a regular light crossbow. And so you step right behind the, the physic and as you head towards that room, you get closer, the excitement is almost tangible within you. You're just about to jump for joy because you know what's coming. I do do a tiny jump. It's a small one. Right, and as you stop in front of the door, the physic steps inside, turns around to look at you, and he says, I know you've looked at this often. It used to be mine when I was your age. It's time that you wear it. I know you, and I know you'll need this. Come here. Okay, I'm I'm speechless as I just take that one shaking step past the door and my foot sits into the stone and I just have this tingling sensation all over me. Okay, here, hold up your arms. And over the next couple of minutes, he actually dresses you in the armor. He cinches the belt buckles perfectly. He's got it just the right tightness. And you feel like nothing in the world can touch you when he's done. Just something about the way that armor feels, the, the weight of it on your shoulders, it is heavier than you thought it might be, but it seems to be a natural fit for you. And then he lifts carefully the knurled wooden crossbow out of its rest and puts it in your hands. Use it well. I'm already like doing poses, like 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you uh, you now have your splint mail, you have your light crossbow, you have your mace, you have your full complement of inventory. No more having to worry about what you have and don't have. If it's on your sheet, it's in your it, it's in your possession. Nice. All right, with that, you and the physic very quickly gather up all the medicinal supplies you can and you head on. And Tira, you have long since mm-hmm. come into the village and you have no idea where anyone is. So you're yes. standing there just outside the chapel. Um, I'm going to talk about the chapel. Yeah, I'd say um, unless unless you want to go somewhere else. Oh, I was just going to say that I'm, I might be kind of, you know, running a few steps this way up the street and looking, looking and running a few steps that way up the street just to... Okay, where did they go? I, you know, maybe they would have gone to Chizik's house, but, you know, the gate's open. It doesn't look like anybody's in there. So, that, you know, maybe I run a few steps towards Chizik's house and then, and then realize, no, no, he's clearly out. Uh, so they've gone, and I'm, you know, like you said, I run back maybe towards the chapel just as they're coming out, or are they still gathering stuff? I'm going to roll, and okay. 1 through 50 is you're going to see Peter first. 51 through 100, you're going to see Womber Bash first. Okay. So you're standing there in that central area of the village, kind of darting here and there, Mm -hmm. looking desperately for somebody you recognize, when behind you out of the chapel, you see Peter and the physic come out and their arms are just laden with all these stalks of herbs and whatever. And Mm -hmm. so Peter, not only are you having to manage the weight of the armor, but now you've got boxes in your arms and Mm -hmm. things spilling out and (laughs) you're trying trying to corral it up. It's like when mom comes home with the groceries. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I only do one trip. (laughs) That's right. Oh, perfect. You got the supplies together. Peter, what are you wearing? It's, it's an open helm, right? Yeah, there's okay. no helm. It's just the armor. This is my new armor. I subconsciously <laughs> dropped my voice. <laughs> <laughs> Does it well, look good? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you all see me? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Wow, that will definitely come in handy. And as well, those supplies, great. Let me give you a hand. May I grab a box or two sure. out of his arms? Yeah. All right, so the physic is there. And so you, between the three of you, you split mm-hmm. the load more evenly and you start to head into the palisade. And at that moment, off in the distance, Womberbash, from a distance, you can see them out in the village area heading into the palisade. So your own arms are pretty full. Okay, so I'm, I'm like just running over there kind of just to come up behind them and basically... Trailing a link yeah, of sausages exactly. behind you. Yeah. Okay. With one hanging out of his mouth, all right? <laughs> Those are mine. <laughs> all right, so yeah, you, you make your way there and from behind you, uh, medical supply carriers, okay. you can hear his water bash comes hurtling towards you. And within a moment, you get there and it's, hey, everyone is greeting each other. Bash! You got some food supplies, I see. I do, I do. I need some rocks. Do you know where any rocks are? Um, I'm sure we can pick some up along the road as we is go. This, is, it a dust, is it like a dirt road or a cobbled street? Oh, it's dirt. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you, you'll have no problem finding appropriate sized right. rocks, especially with the stream here. Uh, you've got... And isn't stones. there a river? You said there's a river backing up behind Chizik's house, so maybe more than a kind of rocks. It's, it's an elevated rock. It's a 30-foot Oh, elevation okay. out uh, above the river. So you wouldn't just be able to walk from his house uh, to the river. You'd have to go out okay, of the palisade and down and around. But let's say that you're able to pick up stones. Okay. I'm going to pick up like five stones actually. And then I'm going to pick up like two hand style, like just, just big enough for mm-hmm. like, like a nice firm grip on a two couple rocks. I'm just going to hold them down at my, uh, okay. at okay. my arms. So moving into the palisade before you gather all that, 
you go in and there, Chizik, actually Timon, his scribe, has already marked off a place to put the supplies, and he's already opened a warehouse there inside the uh, inside the enclosure. Uh, and inside are weapons. So this is where the militia actually stores their extra weapons or newly made weapons so that they have a common place to go and draw from. Right, because they, would they wouldn't have taken too much with them just to deliver. They or... would have, but there's always extra uh, so because weapons are always breaking in practice or whatever. So they have staves. They have, um, you know, regular weapons like you might expect in an armory of sorts. And okay. it's because this is the safest place in town, that's where they store them. Okay. Okay. All right. So you move in and you deposit your various things there. So now there's plenty of food, there's plenty of medicine, and there's weapons. So you have the makings of a defensible position. And outside you can hear people already starting uh, to, to cart their wheelbarrows. They're coming through the gates. People are confused and scared. I was just scared. about to ask, where is everybody? We need to get people in here now. Yeah. Uh, so things are moving and Chiswick, having dropped off his goods, is now standing atop the gate looking down and surveying just to make sure that everything is going according to his plan. Do you see any sign of my father? He looks out to, towards the north where the first home is, and he turns back and shakes his head. No. Well, they're coming. I When I left, they were, my father was rallying everybody in the, um, what did you call it? The first home. Oh, and, no, and the council. And the council. My father was rallying everybody in the council chamber, and and they were all coming together. I know they're on their way, so let's just get everybody inside. We're moving as quickly as we can, Tara. And he goes back to surveying and and shouting down the occasional command. All right. Within the next hour, I'll say. Finally, the last people come filtering into the palisade, and the gate swings shut once they've accounted for everyone and that's where we're going to end it oh, oh are you for real <laughs> all right so we're going to assign some experience points okay but they, we but didn't really do anything but then, but then people <laughs> well here's the like, thing you you made a fateful decision you uh, got starstone and you arranged with your father and the mayor mm -hmm. To organize defenses. Oh yeah. So there are th there there's XP worthy stuff okay. here. For experience points, we're just going to make an across the board decision to level you all out at thirty experience points. So in the previous episode, at the end of episode five, after the challenge, you all leveled. Uh huh. I'm going to say that the events of today have put you all at thirty experience points into level two. So okay. you're now all at thirty. Right. And so we have that common. Ground. Oh, All right. right. And that, that includes conversing realistically with the stag. That includes making a decision that has implications for a lot of things. Uh -huh. That includes getting down to the town and uh, Tira, you convincing your father magically almost. Yeah, <laughs> I think 20, I should have an extra point. <laughs> uh, to rally the dwarves and Peter and Womberbash for convincing the mayor that there was a serious, credible threat, and then getting him spun up and ready to mm -hmm. uh, to defend the town of Arden. So now each of us, at the end of each episode, I think I want to try and do this. Okay. Uh, so, Tira, you have how many experience points into the next level? 30. 30. 30. 30. Okay. So at the end, because it will differ from game to game, uh, we'll just recap to say how close you are to the next level. Okay.
And that is actually by the request of one of our listeners. Oh, really? Yes. Who is that? So we're going to honor that and just try and make sure that it's clear at the end of each episode just how close you are to the next level. We want to try and make this fun for everyone. So we want to thank you all for joining us on this continuing adventure. Today was pretty important, even though not a whole lot exciting happened, but Things are moving, mm-hmm. and uh, we just want you all to know that we appreciate your engagement on Twitter, uh, your communications with us, and as always, any reviews that you can leave us on iTunes will help to bump our ratings to make us more visible to others. We want to share this story with as many people as possible, and your review will help with that. Also, if you have any comments or questions about the game, please feel free to share them with us on Twitter at Stackadice. And our email address is stack.o.dice at gmail.com. So anytime you want to share your thoughts with us or ask questions or whatever, please hit us up at any one of those places. So until next time, when we share our next episode with you, we here at Stack of Dice want to thank you for joining us on this adventure. Was it Chatoyants? Chatoyants? Oh, Chatoyants, like William (laughs) Chatoyants. It literally means cat like, so it's French. Oh, Chatoyants. Chateau? Like, okay. No, different word.